through give a clear word about Wednesday night uh, the youth council and the church council had met. We wanted to do something um, together and we were aiming at the uh, baseball game that comes for the 4th of July. And it so happened that the 3rd, that baseball game is on a Wednesday. So we're not having our normal Wednesday services, but encourage everybody to come and, and to go to the game. And the encouragement is that we can rub shoulders uh, with the youth and intergeneration be together and uh, spend that time. So we want to meet here at 545 and pray together and head off uh, there. So I encourage you to be a part of that, but we won't have our normal Wednesday night services. We want to try to, to do that together. So I encourage you with that. But uh, I'm going to have a reading from John 8 this morning. I won't be doing a normal going through the passage of Scripture. Uh, but w- my goal really this morning is, I think, you know, on this day it's always valuable to remember our land and to remember the dream that birthed this land. And and then to also parallel that to our allegiance that's even above this land, beyond this land, to a land that's forever, our hope there. So, But anyway, let's turn to John 8. I'm going to read uh, verses 31 through 36. So I ask you to stand in God's honor. And I'll read aloud. To the Jews who had believed Him, Jesus said, If you hold to My teaching, you are really My disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are, Lord, that although slavery was the only option, Lord, that you came to set us free, to remove the chains, the shackles of sin, and to free us. And Father, you call us, Lord, to continue to live in that freedom. For you took the chains off, and yet we're often looking for shackles. (laughs) Father, life is so much more. And as we remember the dream of the forefathers of this land, and we look back, Father, to your dream for us, Lord, it's all freedom, real freedom. And I pray this morning that as we take time to remember and to look ahead, I pray that you guide uh, this message. And, Father, we just want the Holy Spirit. We just want you here. Um, Father, if I speak, big deal. If you speak, makes all the difference. So just speak to us, Master. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, I get up in the more, most mornings and I read through you know, one of the uh, news sites to 
check out any headlines that might catch my interest. I've gotten where I really don't watch a lot of the news anymore. But I noticed a headline this morning that caught my attention that happened recently in northern Florida. Um, Very conservative town in Florida. And right outside the courthouse, they have a monument that has the Ten Commandments on it. And so here recently, um, the Atheist Society has put a monument right beside the Ten Commandments. That's the first monument, they believe, by atheists on public property uh, at a courthouse. And, you know, it really disturbed me. uh, On what was etched into the stone there said, the land of the United States of America has nothing to do with Christianity. The, The start of this country has nothing to do with Christianity. It was said differently, but that's basically what it said. And, you know, as I thought about that, it just so disturbed my heart, guys. Because that's just a lie. I mean, you know, sometimes that's what kills me, is that some people can just say anything that has no foundation or truth to it at all, and it's almost like nobody questions them. I mean, whether you're a Christian or not, that's just not true. When you look at this great land, God had everything to do with it. When it was birthed, it was birthed from people who, even people who maybe were not true followers of Jesus Christ, they understood if we're going to be anything or go anywhere, we better trust God. And we better look to God. And anyway, as I start this message, you know, as we do so often on the 4th of July uh, weekend or week, I want to share a couple of quotes that just remind us clearly that those who were part of this great land when the United States was dreamed and started, did care about faith. Patrick Henry said, Do not let anyone claim tribute of American patriotism if they even attempt to remove religion from politics. In other words, beware of those who talk about loving our land but don't love God. Secondly, this is uh, from George Washington in his farewell address. The First Amendment has created a wall of separation between church and state. But that wall is a one-directional wall. It keeps the government from running the church. But it makes sure that Christian principles will always stay in government. George Washington. Uh, John Adams said, So you can see that despite what modern politicians, the contemporary media... That sounds like today. Or the history revisionists say, America was founded not on the concept of freedom to worship any God, Buddha, Allah, etc., but on the freedom to worship Jesus Christ. It's one of our presidents, guys, John Adams. Um, What I want to do, I want to first look at those founders of our country, the patriots and Look at some truths about their sacrifice, their allegiance. Title this message, Pledging Our Allegiance. The deep love and commitment they had with the dream of freedom of a land. And then I want to parallel that to the call of Christ. And, and the freedom that he brings to the heart and to, to the individual who follows and trusts him. Uh, so to begin with, they made a bold declaration. The patriots did. Um, For more than 14 months, their dream was uh, not to separate from England. 
but to gain rights and to keep freedoms and continue to remain a part of the British Empire. The Boston Tea Party, there were hundreds who lost their lives as they demonstrated. Um, and then uh, Lexington and, and Concord, there were battles uh, where people lost their lives. And at Bunker Hill, uh, 400 alone lost their lives there. And it was for the idea, not to break apart from the British Empire, but we want, we want to be able to, to not be bound by the British Empire, but to have freedoms, to, to, to be able to, to, to live freely. And Patrick Henry, the, frame, the famous speech, you know, we all know the closing, but I'll read a portion of that and what he shared in that speech. Uh, this was at the Virginia Provincial Convention. Three million people armed in the holy cause of liberty and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. Besides, sir, we shall not fight our battles alone. There is a just God who presides over the destiny of nations and who will raise up friends to fight our battle for us. Battle, sir, is not to the strong alone. It is to the vigilant, the active, the brave. Besides, sir... It is now too late to retire from the contest. There's no retreat, but in submission and slavery our chains are forged. There clanking may be heard on the plains of Boston. The war is inevitable. Let it come. I repeat it, sir, let it come. It's in vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry peace, peace, but there's no peace. The war's begun. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? His life so dear, peace so sweet, as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. And then there became... And understanding that if we're going to be free, we're going to have to break apart from where we are now. This land is going to have to change. We're going to have to seek our own independence. And in the planning of that, um, John Adams had said on July 2nd, 1776, he said, what a great day. He came home to his wife and he said, after this day, after, after this comes to pass, after we sign this document we've been working on, Americans are going to celebrate. They're going to have picnics. They're going to do sports events together. And they're going to remember a day of freedom. Uh, of course, it took a couple of days of editing and working together. And on July 4th, the document was actually signed. So he dreamed right. He just had it two days ahead. But the, but the picture there was that there was a dream. There, there, there was a love for something that was going to come. And on July 9th, the document was taken out to General Washington and he read it to the troops to give them that dream and that picture of, of what they were fighting for, what they were, what, what they were working toward. And, and they, did, they paid a high price. It's interesting, as you look at history, you had a third of the American people who were like, I just don't want to get involved. Then you had a third who wanted to remain loyal to England. And uh, they referred to them as Tories, which was the political party in England that was so behind the king. And, and then there were a third who said, we need to be free. So there were just a, a third of Americans. 
And, and think about this. They went against the greatest empire, a third of the American colonies, went against the greatest empire who had this great army and had this great navy. And we had a bunch of Minutemen, a bunch of militia, you know, a bunch of guerrilla soldiers who, who came out there and, and fought for their beliefs. And that seems like, how could that have happened? How could they have won? Well, I believe, uh, just like Patrick Henry had said, they weren't alone. God was with them in that battle. And man, did they pay a high price um, uh, for that. 7,200 died in battle. 8,200 were wounded. 10,000 died of just disease. And the conditions uh, that they were in as they were in battle. Uh, 6,500 died in prison. And 1,400 were missing in action. So there were a great price that was paid. And and you've heard this. We read this a lot about the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. Um, Out of that, uh, five were captured by the British and tortured and died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the war. Another two sons were captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds of hardship of the war. And then there were those whose homes were burned to the ground. Carter Braxton was one of those who he, he lost his home in the open fire as, as he watched for the calls. Um, and, and he actually asked for the torching because they were using it for a military base, the British were. Uh, so they were suffering. But in the end, the ultimate result of that was freedom, a great reward that was reached that they were able to enjoy. And, and just of the 56, a lot of times we don't hear this part of it, but of those 56 signers, two of those became presidents of our country, of our land. Uh, another 10 would serve in Congress. Uh, another 19 would later become judges. And another 16 would serve as governors. And so there was a dream, land of the free, home of the brave, that would come out of that commitment and that willingness to stand for a dream and for a hope and to believe that that fight was not something they would do alone. That somehow, even though the odds were against them, the dream would come to life. And that's what happened. Now... You know, I share all of that history. And there are those who want to rewrite history. It amazes me. It scares me. As I said earlier, that people can say something and no one checks out to see, is that true? Is that what happened? And as we look at facts like this this morning and we look at what really happened in our land, there was a firm commitment to God. What kind of commitment does it take? It wasn't just with the lips. It was a willingness to lay down their lives. Now, from that point, now I want to turn and talk about it from the aspect of Christian, of the faith that we're called to. Because we too, those patriots made a bold declaration. We are called to make a bold declaration. We are called to understand that we have this heart problem, this disease that's going to take us out of here, not just merely life as we know it, but take us out of the opportunity for eternity as God wants us to have. There is this issue, and at some point, people come to a place where they see, I need help if I am going to be able to be on the right side with God. 
to be able to be forgiven, to be able to have hope. And and there's a call to that. It's it's not it's not just something with a lips. It's not just yeah, I believe in Jesus and I care about Jesus. It is an understanding that Jesus gave his life and I'm called to give my life. The reason we have people when they make a commitment to Christ, why it's so valuable for people to walk down an aisle and to come before the church is it gives them an opportunity to say, guys, I want to be held accountable. I don't want my words just to be words. I want to say to you, God has invaded my life. Jesus has forgiven me and and He loves me and I need you to help me. We're in this thing together. I'm so just... It's just disappointed with the way our culture wants to separate the church from what it means to be a Christian. And then we look at everybody's a Christian, but nobody's in the church. What in the world is that? I say I'm part of a family, but I hate the family. No way, dude. That's not how it works. When God gets a hold of your heart, when He brings you into the family, He wants you to be in the family, with the family. <laughs> Loving Him together as a family we head toward eternity. Together. And... and when we come down an aisle and we make that commitment, we're saying that when we're baptized before others, we're making a, it's a picture of, of Jesus coming into our hearts, dying to self, coming up new life, and, and it, it's, it's a, it's a bold declaration. Like Paul in Galatians 2.20, we say, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Hey, the idea here is, my life has changed. My goal is not merely to live for me. My goal is to live for the One who loved me so much, He set me free. He gave me a new dream. He gave me a new hope. He really allowed me to be free. Now, as we look in John 8 that I read this morning, you know, I love that um, where he says in verse 35, or verse 34 and 35, he says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We're born into sin. We're trapped by sin. And he tells us in verse 35, now a slave has no permanent place in the family. That's that's the condition we're, we we start with. But he said a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, hey, you'll be free indeed. The work that Jesus does, it frees us so that we can be brave. Home of the free, land of the brave. You know, we can't be brave until we fully know we're free. That's the, that's the work of Christ. And it reminds me of, remember in Joshua uh, chapter 24, and we kind of quote this a lot, and he, the people are out there and he gives them this charge. Uh, this is verse 14, 15, Joshua 24. He says, Fear the Lord and serve Him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods and forefathers you worship beyond the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord. And then just like um, those patriots paid a high price, when you get serious about serving the Lord, 
Don't be surprised by being misunderstood. Don't be surprised by people not liking you. Um, as I thought about this, guys, I thought about John uh, 15. Turn to that with me. Uh, this is not real popular in our day of, you know, we just need to be quiet and respect everybody and love everybody. And no matter what they believe, just shh. When we follow Jesus, sometimes you can't shh. Sometimes you have to speak up. But in John 15, starting at verse 18 through verse 25, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you not, do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they've seen these miracles, and yet they've hated both me and my father. But this to fulfill what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. Cindy and I lately, um, our hearts have been heavy uh, as we've looked at those who, you know, the young, uh, a lot of the college age uh, people who are, I don't know, they're, they're looking, they're searching, but they're not believing the Bible. And so we're looking on sites to see what a lot of people are saying out there. And my heart just breaks as I see the people who are so filled with hate toward Christianity. And you know, I look at that, and part of me, of course, you know, you look at the Scripture, and you say, you know, they hate me. Why? Because of Christ. Now, I know there's some bad church stuff that goes on, and I know sometimes we do it to ourselves, and we hurt a lot of people. But then there are those people who... They're just mad. They're just... They're just... And, you know, be honest with you, and I talked to a friend of mine, he was mad about the whole ruling with the homosexual union thing and all that. And, yeah, but more than that, I'm just really sad. My heart's just really broken over it. It, it just makes me sick inside. I don't hate those people. But I do know that when we step outside of God's best for our lives, that's defined in His Word, there's a price for it. I hurt because they're hurting themselves. And I have to speak. I, I listened Friday. I only caught the last of it. They sent out this email, some guy did, one pastor. They were trying to get all the pastors to on their phone have one of these free phone conferences and they were talking about the results of this ruling. And I just caught the end of it. But you know, it kind of scared me. Because at the end of it, he said, you, you know, pastors, we need to be real worried 
that the next thing that's going to happen is they're going to go after the pulpits. Because we're one of the last places that are going to speak the Bible. And, you know, he was just encouraging everybody to be bold. And and then I heard last night, I, I cut on the TV, and a guy was talking about, you know, um, the White House is saying, well, you don't have to worry about freedom of religion. Uh, but we've already got uh, lawsuits against photographers who said, I, I don't believe in homosexual unions, and I'm not going to do this wedding, and so they're being sued. So who's to say they're not going to sue the church if the church says, you know, we don't believe in homosexual unions and and we're not going to do this ceremony? All I'm trying to say is maybe it's just a time for all of us to do heart search because it may be coming, guys. We may have to take an honest look at our faith. We've had it pretty easy in a lot of ways. Where's our allegiance? And it's not about hating anybody. It's about loving somebody more. And I love our land. But if our land passes a law that says I can't worship God according to my convictions of the Scriptures, I know which way I have to go. Um, this is uh, from Luke chapter 9. Uh, verses 23 through 26. Um, well, well, let me say this before I get into this. Uh, we're in a battle. And we know this, but I want to say it again. It is a spiritual battle. The Bible says in Ephesians six twelve, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, um, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Keep that in mind. We need to be a people of prayer uh, because of that battle. Um, Secondly, even within our churches, there are Tories, you know, those that that were committed to England when uh, our land was seeking freedom. There are those in the church that they come to church, but their love is with the old system. Um, and uh, then we've got a lot of people who, even within our churches, that I just want to sit on the sidelines. You know, like Roger Roller said, fans, not followers. You know, they want to be spectators, not participators. And the thing is, we just need to remember, all of us will one day Individually, stand before God. And we'll have to deal with these things. All right, that said, back to Luke uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Uh, then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? 
If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. You know, this idea of it's going to be all fun and games. Jesus said, you know, take up your cross. He says, follow me daily. That's the command. That's what's being faced. And he says, for those who just want to show up but not follow, you better do a heart check. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, away from me, evildoers. I never knew you. You know, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Do a heart check. Make sure you're right with him. Makes all the difference. Titus 1 verse 16. Listen to this verse. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for anything good. Ouch. Um, Basically, uh, the call is to move from self to sacrifice. And we don't understand the gospel till we understand self to sacrifice. Jesus gave up self and became the sacrifice. Our call when we come to Christ is to understand that the battle is always... We're not earning salvation. He's earned it. We're not performing. He's met the everything needed for salvation. What we've got to understand is we've got to see the call. To move from self to sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. We're to be like Him. And that's always the heart. Move from self to sacrifice. Self to sacrifice. Self to sacrifice. That's where it is. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the heart. From self to sacrifice. Uh, As we do that, uh, there's a great reward. John 8, 36. Then you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. John 8, 31, 8, 36. Uh, Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I love that. And Romans 8, 18. I know that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Hey, that's what awaits every believer. That's what awaits And so our heart now, for those of us who've trusted Christ, is God help me move from self to surrender. You modeled that, and you want that to be part of my life. Uh, I'm almost at the end. Hang on uh, with me. Uh, Judgment comes because we felt it. We felt to honor God and who He is. Don't kid yourself. You can't just believe anything and be right with God. You can't just do anything and please God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me.
uh, talks about in the book of Acts, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we're saved. It's Jesus. Uh, as I thought of this, uh, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, we quote it, but love is also not just a verb. It is a noun. It is God himself. It is Jesus Christ, finished work at Calvary. <laughs> Um, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Paul said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Self to sacrifice. Um, he goes on in verse 12. He says, Now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face. He says, Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. Uh, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection. Then we shall see face to face as in a mirror. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully. No. You know, I share that about love because, hey guys, I get it. I've got my warts. I don't know why Jesus loves me. Sometimes I really don't. But He does. Thank you, Lord. Um... Sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I get upset. Sometimes I try to, try to twist God's arm and say, God, do it, do it, do it. There's only one problem. He's God. And He knows better than I do. And He also knows that the call of my life is to move from self to surrender to sacrifice. Hey. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I'm fully known. That's the great thing about love. What am I saying? There will come a time when you and I will step into eternity. And that's why Jesus is so important, guys. Hey, He's it. When you step into eternity, the only thing that's going to make a difference, the only way to know your name is written in the book of life, is Jesus. That you have bowed to Him. That you have found the sacrifice that leads you to surrender and to sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord, uh, as we have thought about those in our land who died for a cause, for a dream, that we might have the home of the brave and the land of the free, God. Father, we also think about you. I mean, we weren't very brave. But Jesus was brave. He went to the cross and he died. His bravery provided freedom. It cost him everything. And we need to get that. We need to see that. We need to let that dictate our lives. Until we catch that, until we bow to that, we don't get it. And so I pray, Father, for each of us here today.
Grab a hold of our hearts, Lord. We do live in a wonderful land. But the reason that was possible is because people before us saw a wonderful God and trusted Him. Now, uh, Lord, for us to find life purpose, individually and as a nation, we need to see Jesus again, and we need to ask, who is He? What has He done? What is expected of me because of that? And I pray simply this morning in what we call response, invitation, whatever. We ask those questions personally. And if it leads us to the altar, if it leads us before the church to make a commitment, or if it leads us simply where we are to do business with you, I just want you, Father, to be glorified. And so we, that's our prayer this morning, Lord. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.